0: All right, everyone, welcome to a special episode of the Publisher Lab. Uh, My name is Tyler Bishop and uh, John Cole is not with me today. He's, uh, unfortunately he's traveling and internet connections can be a bit of a roll of the dice whenever you're traveling around the country. With me today, a guest, I have Joanna Edwards uh, from the Financial Times. She's the head of marketing for financial publishing at uh, FT. And uh, Joanna, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> we're, we're glad to have you. Um, maybe you could start off by giving uh, our audience a little bit of uh, information about your background and, uh, and how you came to be at FT.
1: Sure. So, I have been working in kind of what I would classify as uh, career jobs for just under 10 years, and five of those years have been at the FT. Um, the two before that were also in publishing, so I've been in publishing now for just under seven years. Um, and in that time, my roles have varied, so I started out in a B2C role working on a weekly magazine called The Week, um, I know it's quite big in the UK, we've also, we've also got a an edition in the US, so you may have come across it. Um, and I was purely focused on driving new subscriptions to that magazine. I started at the FT kind of with that experience under my belt, working on Investors Chronicle, which is also a B2C magazine. And again, was solely responsible for driving B2C subscriptions across that title um, and also kind of supporting their events and their advertising proposition. And then after about three years, I got my latest role, which is head of marketing for the whole of the specialist division. And that actually incorporates a lot of B2B products, data products, as well as the kind of B2C magazine that I originally started on. So it's a really varied role. And there's lots of different types of products. So I had to learn a lot quickly. um, But it's it's been an enjoyable experience most of the time
0: fun, right, is uh, things have changed so much uh, over time. One of the things that I think would be really interesting to hear from you, um, because it's something I've never uh, really dealt with before, is how has the um, the uh, subscriptions changed over the last, I don't know, five to ten years? Um, so this is obviously something you've done for both B2B and B2C publications. Um, you know, how has technology and modern marketing, things like that, shifted the way that you approached uh and grabbing new subscribers
1: it's a really good question and it's changed almost beyond recognition um so when i started out we sent out 16 million inserts a year into various different newspapers and magazines and m- the majority of our subscriptions would come via print channels so direct mail inserts um inserts into our own magazines there was a little bit of digital but it really wasn't very big and it didn't drive much traffic um, and actually the week itself didn't even have a website um, until just before I left so it really was driving a print magazine subscription um, obviously now we are available on all the platforms we're responsive we have apps so the propositions are a lot different in terms of what our readers want, and what we can offer them, we have to make sure that we're able to tailor packages. Whereas before, it was very straightforward—you just took the magazine subscription. So we have to be really careful with our pricing, work out what people will pay, what's important to them, but also obviously the channels that we drive subscriptions through. So we we do still do some print. What we find is that actually um, something like a direct mail these days stands out because. People are bombarded with emails every day. I don't know about you, but my inbox is constantly full of emails. Often I don't even remember requesting. Um, And actually, how many pieces of mail do you get now? You you don't get that many. So when you do get them, I think most people open it because they aren't entirely sure what it's going to be. So actually we do find, especially on the B2C side, when it comes through your letterbox, that fear it might be a bill or something you need to act on. So I think we obviously have print channels, but they're, used in a lot more moderation that they do tend to be more expensive um so now it's all about buying audiences through programmatic advertising it's all about utilizing google um because obviously google is so powerful Um, so that's from a, a an organic search kind of perspective but also from a paid search as there's a lot of stats out in the market in terms of how much of the advertising market now sits with the likes of Facebook and Google. It's huge. Um, and so we've just, I guess we've become cleverer um, and we've been able to be cleverer because we have that, that availability of kind of analytics and tracking. Before you kind of went, you know, you might have done a house ad or a page ad and hoped that you'd drive subscriptions from it, and, but not really know. Um, whereas now we know exactly what 's working, what 's not working, so we can adjust and we can optimize um, a lot more than we could, in days. but that does put a bigger pressure on people expecting you to get it right, and it also means that you kind of you have to constantly change in order to make sure you're constantly keeping up to date and um you know learning what 's the latest method that's going on in the market.
0: So it's, it it may be something that uh, that maybe uh, uh, you, you may correct me in one of my assumptions, but you know one of the things uh, that you're that you're obviously trying to do when you when you acquire new subscribers specifically uh, in your role right now, now is um, is you want them to want to subscribe because of the content. Uh, how do you balance the the your you know potential subscribers with content? we the value of a subscription versus um, uh, holding back certain levels of content and things like that for subscribers. Uh, is there is there a criteria or a formula that you guys use to, d- to devise those things, or is my assumption uh, incorrect?
1: No, you're completely right. So it kind of varies. I mean, there's kind of diff- we kind of segregate our data into different compartments in a way so we look at say um people that already know our brand and that are already engaging with our brand and with people like that we know they know who we are we know what that that they know there's a value to us so we generally would go to them with a kind of we try to make our copy and our marketing materials very kind of um benefit-led in terms of what more what we can give them and we try not to focus on price but we focus more on what so, for example, with Investors Chronicle magazine, we talk about how we will make you a better investor. And we, as a part of that magazine, make recommendations for stock, um, so for buying stocks and shares. And we will actually give examples where we say, if you'd have invested X amount in 1999 into our portfolio, we recommended, um, or we kind of suggested at that point, that same amount would now be worth x amount so we really try to make it easy for people to understand the benefits if people aren't familiar with the brands we tend to have to do a trial offer or something that's a little bit softer just to try and get them in and then whilst they're on that trial we'll engage them as much as possible with the site we'll try and push them around the content so they can understand and learn the value themselves Um, with the b2b subscriptions it's slightly different We'll look to kind of get as many people from an organization onto a subscription at the same time, get them using it and engaging with it so that we can then go to the person responsible for making that decision as to whether they buy a license and actually say, you know what, 25 people from your company, we've offered them a trial, they've taken it up, they're using it every day. If you now stop that because it's the end of your trial, you know, you're going to have 25 people coming to you and saying, oh, I really wish we still had this. We really wish we had access to this content. And actually, we kind of, that works really nicely in terms of getting us enterprise wide licenses, which are obviously great value for our business. Um, And it also allows us to then continue to upgrade those people. So the more, if we can get somebody to subscribe to an enterprise license, the more people in the enterprise we can get using it, the more people that are getting value from it, the more likely somebody is or an an organization is to continue that subscription and to renew. So it kind of works for them because they're making the most of the money they're spending on it, and they're getting the most value from it. But obviously, from our perspective, it makes them have a higher propensity to renew, which is... Ideal for our business model.
0: Yeah, I think it, that that's really interesting. Um, uh, there's a lot of interesting aspects of that that I think um, uh, that are probably that are probably amplified with the size of your business and kind of the profile that you guys have. One of the things that I think is that, that I keep hearing about with um, with larger publishers, specifically news publishers, maybe more so than large publishers, is um, is this kind of of how you deal with the platforms you mentioned like the duality before Google and Facebook. Um, How do you, how do you balance or how do you approach uh, the use of those types of platforms in your marketing, whether it's sharing your content on there or being active on those platforms? um, How do you, how do you kind of find that balance between um, um, those platforms, but not allowing those uh, platforms to really overtake kind of the brand or the, the, um, uh, the product that is your, your site and your content.
1: Yeah, I think if I'm honest, it's still something that publishers are trying to work through and it's almost a little bit of trial and error. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, it's it's very difficult in that often those platforms, and I think generally we probably find that those platforms do open up new audiences to us, so by kind of working with them and in conjunction with them, actually, we're reaching people we wouldn't normally reach rather than cannibalising our existing readers. Um, but it is it is really difficult to get that balance. And, you know, things such as um, programmatic advertising, where it's, it's kind of made the, the display advertising market available at such cheap rates, it really is hard because you need to be on these platforms but equally it does undermine your clients that are coming to you and paying the full price so it's i think we're constantly working it out it's all about like testing really and what we will do is we will test something for a short period of time and we'll look at the impact and if it works really well we'll do more of it but if we feel that it's impacting on our numbers then we'll kind of pull back from it but I don't really think at the moment there is a i don't think anyone's quite got it right i think it's very much and because things are changing so so date so often it's kind of a constant learning curve
0: yeah i i would say so i i think that that's that's pretty much what what we've heard from 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 a lot of publishers and um, what I think that everyone that we've talked to, for the most part, agrees that there is probably some set type of balance to strike. But I think everyone's still trying to find their stride. Um, another question that I kind of had for you is kind of related to like the digital marketing uh, kind of aspect of everything. Um, how how have how has, is are would, would you say are unique maybe to uh, to the Financial Times or or more specifically the the group that you work with there. Um, I would assume that, you know, every position kind of has its own unique challenges and things like that. What what things are popping up for you guys right now that um, that you're seeking to overcome or things that are maybe unique to this particular technolo- technological uh, environment? Um, how are you guys adapting to some of the things that are happening right now?
1: Yeah, so I think if I was going to tell you what was keeping me up at night, um, then data, has to be top of the list so and it's a constant struggle i think for most publishers in terms of a lot of us have data that's actually quite up to date we're sending out magazines we've got people registering on our website that it's not the the kind of the accuracy of the data but it's the storage and it's the the kind of platforms you've got attached to it to be able to then use that data in an effective and useful way and that goes for the analytics side as well so getting to a point where you have a single customer view is something we are aspiring to at the ft we're not there yet um, because we're we're a business that's built of 20 brands, um, each have kind of grown organically. Some have been acquired. Some, the FT itself is 129 years old this year. The Investors Chronicle is the third oldest magazine in the world. Um, I think that's well over, well on its way to 160. Um, so these products have all got these siloed ecosystems that are supporting them, and at the moment they're just about making do, but what we need to be doing more is looking at the way people are buying, and that 's no longer from an advertising perspective people don 't people want to buy audience groups they want to be able to target their advertising and actually, by not having our data in the same place, it makes it very hard to be able to offer those kind of solutions in the same way that we have these um, so across the group we have close to a million subscribers unique subscribers. But we can't do as much on the cross-sell, upsell kind of um, side of things as much as we'd like to because we don't always have those people in the same systems. Um, So definitely data and also then what do you plug in and how, for example, we have Google Analytics across all of our sites. But actually, that's all very well, but we need to be able to use those tools to get meaningful insights and for them to actually impact on what we're doing. I think that's still where we're not, we have the analysis, but we don't always have it linking up to the product and to the business as close as it should be.
0: Yeah, that, that actually makes total sense. Um, and, I can, and I can obviously see where that would be uh, a challenge in a lot of aspects. You mentioned... Into all the different uh, brands that kind of go together, and I, and obviously the challenge of that is kind of daunting in some cases. But uh, I would assume that there's also some probably opportunities for synergy between those things as well. Uh, what ways have you guys been able to leverage those different properties together to to, or or how have you leveraged those things together to to find um, to find new opportunities? It's
1: a really good um, question. So it's something we're constantly like attempting to achieve, Um, in the last couple of years, we've made a really concerted effort to um, kind of uh, collaborate across the different marketing teams in order to make sure that if we've got a big brand campaign going out for the main FT, um, they are in conjunction with, so the B2C offering, which will be going to individuals who might want to buy it for their own personal reasons, but also for the B2B offering. And actually, rather than the brand campaign being done in isolation, they will actually support the other marketing teams who will then know that there's brand campaigns going out. And they will then be all of the creative, all of the messaging will then be in sync across the whole business. And whether we approach audience groups with our B2C offering or whether we approach them with our B2B offering, as long that the messaging and the creatives will be consistent. And that's actually something that Hasn't al- it sounds so obvious, but it hasn't always been done. Um, it also allows us to share suppliers, so we've got a real push towards Salesforce at the moment. Um, a lot of our products are on Salesforce, and it obviously by working together with numerous suppliers, it gives us much stronger buying power, um, and obviously allows us to negotiate much better rates. Um, and it just kind of we take a lot of learnings as well from each other, so. You know, There's different marketing teams across the business, but we're all doing quite similar stuff. And it allows us to not necessarily have to test everything in our own areas because we know there's a specialist team who are looking at CRM. And actually, it might be a slightly different product, but the fact they're learning from what they're doing and they're specializing on that one topic, we can then roll out some of those learnings across the rest of the business. So recently, um, we've had a marketing academy set up for all marketers across the business. And it's a real kind of forum to meet, to share best practice, to learn from each other. Um, And that's kind of an ongoing uh, academy where you're just encouraged to be able to learn from the fact you are doing very similar things.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And and I think that's a a nice forward thinking idea. Um, I have one last question for you. And I think it's probably, it's kind of along the same lines uh, as you guys prepare for the rest of 2017, 2018, uh, in what ways do you see, um, or what avenues do you, you guys see, um, FC going down in terms of, uh, uh, in, in terms of shifts or changes that'll come with the way that you market, um, to your audience. So I, I guess my question is, um, uh, how how do you expect things to change how do you expect to adapt with changes where do you see things going what trends do you do you expect to adopt um, just what's your vision for the future i guess
1: yeah absolutely so something that's already started and that we're very aware of is that our print advertising spend is moving to content projects so 5 years ago somebody would have paid a number, you know, an amount for a page ad into the FT, into the banker, into Investor's Chronicle, to one of our print magazines. The marketing team would have nothing whatsoever to do with that page ad. It would go via the sales team and the production team, and that would be done. Now, the new trend for that money that's moving away from print advertising, it's going into sponsored projects. So editorial projects where sponsors and um, an editorial person from our end are working closely on specific topics and videos where our editorial people are interviewing our sponsors. And we keep a really, really, really strict line between what we would say the church and the state. So our, all of our content remains entirely independent. And there is, you know, that is the way we have to be because it, it is our core values as a business. Um, but what that does mean is that there's a lot more work for the marketing team because they actually have to take each of those sponsored projects and market them, them like their, a specific marketing campaign is needed for each one. So we've gone from having kind of our advertising revenue which didn't require our time because it just kind of looked after itself to suddenly needing a lot of resource from both an editorial, a marketing and a kind of tech perspective. So that's a massive thing that we're trying to adjust to as a team. We're trying to make sure that we can resource those projects. And at the same time, we have to continue to transition our business to a subscription business. So um, we're doing really well um, as a business. And you'll have heard, you know, the FT as a group has really managed this transition and has taken a kind of, it's always been very innovative in that area. But we have to keep that going and we can't let ourselves get distracted by the short-term kind of money that we know is there from an advertising perspective, but probably isn't going to always be there in the same way our subscription revenue is. Um, so, that's definitely a focus, and juggling those two priorities is, is going to be a challenge this year. I think from a more marketing-specific side, um, the changes in legislation are going to be huge. So, there's a uh, the GDPR um, legislation, which is coming in at the beginning of next year, it's going to be a lot um, stricter, which is fantastic from a consumer perspective, and it means that we're all going to have a lot more protection when it comes to data. But it does these changes to legislation. They make marketing um, not harder because it's if you're marketing in a correct and ethical way, then you should be respecting people's privacy. But it does mean that you need to have the systems and the processes in place to be able to make sure that you are unsubscribing people properly promptly you know having those that information on file being able to transfer that information between different parts of the business to make sure if somebody unsubscribes on one thing but they want it complete um kind of unsubscribe then you can make sure that's actually actioned on so it will mean changes in the way we work um, and actually i think that's probably not a bad thing because i think it will make the whole industry more transparent more ethical and it's better for the consumer but things like that will be a focus in the next few months, in terms of making sure we're ready when that legislation goes live to kind of put our best foot forward and make sure we're adhering to it in the way we should be.
0: Excellent. Well, that it's it's been it's actually been really fascinating to hear um, kind of the inner workings of a lot of the different aspects of uh, what you guys do at FT. Um, I'm 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 sure that our audience is probably a lot like me and has learned a lot uh, just from this last half hour. So, Joanna, I want to just thank you for taking the time to speak with us and talk with us on the podcast, and um, let us know let us know when you're available again because I'm sure we would love to have you on, and I'm sure John would love a chance to to chat with you a little bit as well. Fantastic, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Joanna Joanna Edwards from the Financial Times. Thank you very much. Thank you.